Welcome to People's Church Podcast. As a Christian, you're pretty confident of God's love for you. The question we want to talk about today and I want to explore with you, actually talking about the last days, is your love of God. How's that working out? How would you rate it? Where's it at? Peter was asked this question three times. Three times. You know he denied the Lord three times and then Jesus asked him three times after upon Peter's broken time and then in his restoration and not just restoration in a healing way but in a ministry way so that he could become all that God wanted him to be and what was that going to be based on? Not Jesus' love for him. That was assured. It would be the question he asked him three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter's response is very integral to the rest of the story. In fact, it becomes the foundation of what the church in its response to God's love is to be and is to do. Second time he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Now each of these times, Peter responds in the positive. And the positive is, yes, Lord, I love you. Next, yes, Lord. A little more emphasis on his response. I love you. Jesus' response to that was, Peter, if you love me, then you feed my sheep. More or less, you be about my work. You be about what I'm about, Peter. Third question, Peter, do you love me? To which Peter was a little exasperated at this point because God was really featuring on his will and his choice the whole future for Peter. And saying, Peter, do you really love me? And to do that, he was obviously basing it off of Peter's inadequacies in most recent history. And Peter answered, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. More or less, be willing to lay down your life, Peter. Give me it all. Don't play with me. You give me the entire deal. That's where Jesus was at with Peter. Peter already knew the Lord's love for him. As a Christian, you know God's love for you. It's, It's the most amazing thing that God loves us the way that he does with this perfect love that we should celebrate. But that's just not where your future is just built on that. It gives you the potential for a future. And that future will be built upon your love of God, which will determine your level of sacrifice, your level of commitment, the level by which you walk out this beautiful love you've received. So we want to talk about that. And the best way to look at this is going to be by looking at the last days and how the world grows so distant from God as time moves on. This is a question I've been asked so much in the last years, probably since the COVID uh, experience started to rattle the globe and changed a lot of people's ideas of life, uh, raised questions they hadn't been asking for a while, and maybe never have asked. The question I've been asked is, are we in the last days? Are these the last days, Nelson? Many of you have asked me that question. Are we in the last days? It's an interesting question. It comes out of what you are observing in the world around you, wave upon wave. Just when you think it couldn't get crazier, it does. 
just when you think it can't go further, it does. We begin to question God and his existence in every which way. The more that people in this globe move from God. Now we even question God as creator. God created them, male and female, he created them. That's God's creation. Now we're in a time where we set aside God as creator and we become a creator and we will create whatever we wish. Now that goes across to everything. No matter what wave is hitting you or your family, no matter what wave is coming through our culture, it's basically an attack upon God's, uh, can we say, his character, who he is. It's dismissing him from his role. It's distancing him from his creation so that man can more and more be the role of creator. I will create my own future. I will create what my past looks like. I'll create my own right and wrong. I'll create my own purpose. I will create. I, we all can have the ability to create whatever we wish. But the last result is what you have done is the great tragedy of moving a God that loves you outside of your purpose and your plan in life. And the other thing it does is it takes away from you the one great thing that you are here on earth to do. Do you remember the greatest commandment that Jesus identified? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. That sums up all of the law and the prophets. Then he goes into the second commandment, which he says, Love people, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That one today we see in the world attempting to fulfill that one really, really strong because if you're going to take on Godhood yourself and be your own creator, certainly you want to be a benevolent creator. So in being a benevolent creator, you want to make sure that you are providing benevolence to your fellow man and make sure that you can display that. And then you end up in the Pharisee situation where it is all on the outside becomes polished, it has no depth. Your heart is still a broken heart away from God. The last days, interesting thing. It says in the last days in the scriptures that the love of many will wax cold. It's an interesting observation about the last days. It's like love is gonna come to a new low. It's like love in the world is going to hit an absolute new low. But let's just prod this a little bit and dive into this. So I've just entitled this, Be Prepared. Be Prepared. James 5, and in James four times, he mentions the second coming of Christ. By the way, it's an interesting note. The Bible actually has a lot more to say about the second coming of Christ than the first coming than Bethlehem. It speaks in volume far more than the first coming. And yet, we don't note that so much because that puts pressure on our response to God. The second coming is, in fact, is one, one author put it this way, one theologian put it this way, one in every four words has something to do with the second coming of Christ. I don't know, I'm not gonna take the time to do all the study that he did to come up with that math. The point is this, in the Bible, 
The second coming of Christ is a huge subject and you need to know some things about it. But the first thing you need to know is how do you get prepared? Be prepared. James, we have four references to the second coming of Christ and he ties it directly to our actions, to what we're becoming. James is a book about kind of the practical side of Christianity. He's talking about, look, if you're not looking after widows and orphans, you're not helping people in need, don't kid yourself about the quality of your faith. If you can ignore the, what people need and what, they, what, what people are around you, you can, you can ignore the condition of their soul, of their bodies, of their minds. James 5, 7 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. There's a direct reference saying, you need to be patient with this world. The world's going to throw a lot of weird stuff, guys. You're going to get a lot of waves that come at you. You're going to have a lot of challenges. You're going to take some persecution. Not everybody's going to like your stand. In fact, most people don't like your stand on Christ. Talk all God all day long. Do not talk Jesus. The next verse is James 5, 8, right after this one. You too be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. He's saying, you want to stand firm, be patient and concentrate on how your feet are planted. What is your stand like? Are you prepared? Because his coming is near. James 2.12 says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. He's coming as a judge. First he came as a savior. The second coming of Christ, he comes as the judge. The first coming savior, the second coming, the judge. James 5, 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. That means that He's within the immediate zone. And on the okay of the Father, he's going to return because only the Father knows the date. Don't ever listen to anybody. The moment somebody is getting into dates, just walk away. They're a false prophet. Walk away. Let's talk about what will the last days be like. Matthew 24, 21 says... Jesus said, there will be great distress in the world at that time, unparalleled since the world began. More or less, he's identifying that there will be a uniqueness. It's not that these things haven't happened before, but the volume of these things, the intensity of these things will be so undeniably strong. It's going to be almost an overwhelming distress, unparalleled. Let's take a look at Jesus' description of the last days. Matthew 24. It says, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. What's he talking about? Very simply, he's just setting a stage that says God's in charge of all the time. But if you're really wanting to know what distress is like, Here's what it's like, because you know these things. You know wars. You know these things already. 
Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. More or less, if you're going to follow the king of heaven, every king on earth counts you a target. Jesus is saying, it's going to come a time where it's going to cost you to, to such a degree to follow me that every king on earth is going to hold you a target. We know many of our brothers and sisters around the world have suffered this throughout two millennia and continue in our day and age. You think persecution is actually disappearing? It's absolutely increasing around the globe. The headlines teach us that, but a little deeper study tells you how fast this issue is. At the time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Imagine, those that have once loved one another, those that have once walked with each other, there's gonna be such a brokenness of relationship. There's gonna be such a, a change in the way that we get together and how we function in relationship that it will turn from a love to a hatred. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. That's happening. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of the few, the love of most will grow cold. That's why I want to talk to you about your love of God. I already know about God's love for you. It'll never grow cold. I want to talk to you about your love of God, believer. Because there's a risk. It can grow cold. You can be like Peter's journey that ends with his own failure. It can be where I've disappointed or I am in a place where I, uh, you know, don't want to go through the final molding that's necessary for me to fulfill the purpose and the ministry that God has for me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, which is Jesus the King, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The final thing that he puts out there for you to understand what is transpiring and how to actually look at last days is not all the wave of all the bad news stuff coming and all the, all the stuff that's going to test you or try you or persecute you. He says in the final idea of this is that the gospel is going to spread through the entire world. It will have fulfilled every corner of the globe. It will have gone to everybody. It will be a testimony to all nations. So he puts the final check mark into this. The gospel. Has it even reached the final corners of your own family? Your extended family? Has the gospel actually reached there with clarity and, 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 and with testimony? Because if you really want to grow and express love for God, you must feed his sheep. You must be in his sheep business. You must be somebody 
That is considering important what God considers important and why Jesus came in the first place. He says, I am here for my sheep. I hope the gospel is reaching through your family. I hope that it's reaching through your neighborhood, through your place of work, because you see, that is actually the sign that in the final analysis will be the release. Paul's description. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. I want you to listen to this and tell me which one is not present with great strength today, okay, as we go through. Which one in your own mind would you say, this one is not present with, with any strength today? People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Which one? Have nothing to do with such people. Peter's description. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, I know that was just the most uplifting front end of the message that you could possibly hear. Now the big question. What kind of life should I live to prepare for his coming? If it's near, if you believe you're in the last days, I will say this with confidence, we are in the later days. Then you have to answer this question even with greater passion. Peter, do you love me? And he's asking you that in the world in which you live, the family which you've been placed, the business where you work, the community where you live, and where you enjoy life together with your other loved ones. What kind of life should I live to prepare for his coming? What does that kind of life look like that says, I am ready? I mean, I, if he comes today, I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, I, you see... 
To be ready means I don't have control of when he comes. But I have realized and I believe and I practice my life based on he could be here right now. He could come now. You know, I grew up, I grew up um, in churches that, that so, sometimes they got to crazy stuff around this kind of subject. They left scriptures and they went to opinions. And so the opinion uh, often, you know, became the thing that gets preached rather than the scriptures themselves. And so I grew up with a little bit of aversion because, yeah, they kept saying, he's coming, he's coming. And then they were those that said, yeah, he's going to be here by 1980. Some of you might remember that one. Some of you weren't even born. You weren't even thought of. You don't even, you can't, just forget it. You're too young. There was a big deal around 1980. And then there was a big deal around 1984. Now, some of you will remember this one because it's not too long ago. How about uh, Y2K? How many know what that even is when I say that? You're getting old. (laughs) Y2K was the year 2000 turnover. Every computer was going to crash. Civilization would be destroyed. The Lord would return. It's over. It's done. Boom. It was one of those kind of deals, right? And... Everybody's looking at that midnight on, not everybody, I, I just had a good sleep. I want you to know that. I went to bed and had a very good sleep. I had already done a series to teach that why that's not going to work, why that won't happen. Because the moment you say it's going to be that day, it won't be that day. But we do need to live in the light that Jesus could come at any time. And when you see the waves of craziness that seem to get crazier, and even on a global function, you want to check your own life like Peter was being checked. Not whether God loves you. He does. And it was sung beautifully in a beautiful message. But the thing that controls your destiny this way is your response to that love and your love for God. And that's why Peter was asked that question. So how do I prepare for his coming? What kind of life should I be living? Number one, throw out the garbage. You know what Peter's garbage was? The garbage was he thought he was strong enough to protect the Lord. He was going to tell the Lord how the Lord would do his work. Here's what you will do. You're not going to go to the cross. That's not going to happen. Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, I would never deny you. Yeah, three times, buddy. Three times before the morning rooster crows. He was deceived about his role, who he was. His love of God was measured uh, by his own sense rather than his response to this amazing love and a surrendering of everything that he is. It wasn't all surrendered yet. I'll still be in charge. I'll be in charge so much, I'll tell the creator how to do it. Doesn't work out too well. Throw out the garbage. You know, we often just get angry at what happens. A bad response. If you live in anger about 
world and, and the waves of the world that keep coming. Man, well, listen to the scriptures. James 1, 20, 21. Because, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Basically, a quick breakdown. He just says your anger is not going to ever produce the righteousness that God desires. That's the lesson Peter needed to learn, and he learned it a hard way. Therefore, he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Well, it is prevalent. Now, evil is not the obvious things that we see. Often we think of only sins of the flesh and not sins of the heart. And yet sins of the heart, Jesus goes to and says, these are greater. Accept the word planted in you humbly. More or less, there's something been planted in you, but it's only going to really get a real deep root in you if you humble yourself to receive it. You always know it's God's work going on in you when it's less of you and more of him. Think about that. Yeah, this is going to be less of me, more of you, where you know you are going through a a time where God's saying, I want you humble before me. Because there's something in you that needs to live, it needs to breathe, it needs to find its full expression. It need, you need to grow in your love. Your love for me. Colossians 3, 4, and 8. Christ is your life and when he comes again. Oh, there it is. Just continuous through scripture. Continuous. And when he comes again, you will share in his glory. So put all evil things out of your life. Sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil, and greed. This is really serving a false god. These things make God angry. In your past evil life, you all you. Uh, also did these things, but now also put these things out of your life. He's saying, you did it in the past, but now put them out. That's your decision. Do you love me? Anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others, and using evil words when you talk. Second, learn to love. Learn to love. You want to get prepared, you best learn how to love. Learn to love the Lord with everything you are. In James 4, 5, 7, and 8, it says, Do you think the scripture means nothing that says the spirit that God made to live in us wants us for himself alone? He wants you to love him first. So give yourselves completely to God. Stand against the devil. By the way, that's what you have to do first. Good luck standing against the devil when you're in league by a flesh that is not being challenged. Verse 
So give yourselves completely to God. Stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. Come near. Look at this. Come near to God. That's a love thing. You got to come near. I've come near to you. You come near to me. Come near to God and God will come near to you. You sinners, clean sin out of your lives. You who are trying to follow God in the world at the same time. Make your thinking pure, clear, pure, focused, intent. First John 2, sometimes you just don't need to say much about some of these, do we? First John 2, 28 says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, there it is again, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. He's saying, I want you to draw near to me. Really have fellowship with me. Put it all in. Don't come part way with me because if you do that, you're actually going to be worse off. He tells us that. It is better that they never knew anything about it than to be part way in. You got to be in. It's about love. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you stood at an altar, even in a human response to another human being, and you're sharing marriage vows, and they went something like this, I'll love them as long as. I'll start loving them, I'll give them this much, and if they do well, then I'll up the grade. I don't know about you, but I, if I was you, I'd leave that altar really quick, Okay. Courage comes because you have made choices to love God, to remain in fellowship with Christ, because everything pushes against that in this world. Your fellowship with Christ is the thing that Satan will attack, that your flesh doesn't like, that other people don't like, and the reason they don't like it is because it affirms them as God and creator, and he's savior, the only one, and he will come again as judge. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. You know this and I've referred to it already. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the fair, by the way, Sadducees, they were more of a political sect with, with religion as an overtone or, uh, is how I would put them. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So that's why, can I say it? I dare not say it. That's why they're sad, you see. I think I learned that in Sunday school when I was six years old, folks. So I'm like, uh, amazing how that stuff sticks with you. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they were asking questions to try to trap him, find reason to kill him. This was really close to the cross. The Pharisees got together. Now it's up to the Pharisees, who were religious with political overtones. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. I don't know if you know it, but this was first stated way back in Deuteronomy. 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Other gospels add, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. This commandment exceeds all other commandments. If you break uh, sort of a little religious commandment or you break, you know, something that's more, uh, we would say, uh, maybe even human to human commandment, you know, that's a little different than breaking this commandment. This commandment, if you break this, you literally break them all. This is the commandment. It, It goes right back to Adam and Eve. They were subject to this commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything you got. Adam and Eve were subject to that commandment. Noah was subject to that commandment. Moses and Abraham were subject to that commandment. Everybody has been subject to this commandment. We all fail this commandment, by the way. I hate to tell you that. We all fail in this. There's been times when we have loved ourselves more than we have loved him. There may be times you've loved other things and even other people more than you loved him. You're more comfortable with the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, but you can't actually fulfill that one if you don't fulfill the first one because it's your love of God which generates the ability to love somebody else differently than humans can love. Love. It's a strong word, not a weak word. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's saying everything about revelation that you have in the Old Testament around law, it all is subject and summed up within these two commandments, but the first commandment comes first. And of course, that's the most uncomfortable one. Because to love God with everything you are means you're going to surrender. You're not playing around. This is serious business to you. You're all in. You're not partly in. You're, you're in up to the top of your head. You are in every which way you can be. Third, become strong through trouble. To be prepared. To be ready. Become strong through trouble. Trouble's going to come. You don't even need to live in the last days to have trouble. It's always going to be. Jesus started off his talk on that saying, there's wars, rumors of wars. You get all this stuff. It's all happening. There's earthquakes here, there, everywhere. He's saying, look, this is just the beginning of things. Like you're going to experience these kinds of things. But there's going to come a time when it is all concentrated in a time to such a degree, globally, that the distress will be absolutely overwhelming. James 1, 3 to 4 again, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You're going to have trouble, use it. It's fuel if you want it to be. Your troubles you're going through right now are fuel for strength if you wish. If you wish. It's up to you what you want to do with that fuel, but it is fuel. 
It is fuel to make you better, to break something in you and add something to you, or to take something away from you and to add so that you, something can be added to you. You are going to have trouble. Trouble is fuel for maturity. Trouble is fuel, which is strength, by the way, completeness, this complete sense. Trouble. You can become strong. Nobody becomes strong without trouble. You say, boy, I got a lot of fuel going on. That is an opportunity, folks. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You make trouble a test of your faith. Not a statement of your condition or your weakness. But a statement of your faith. Let it be a test of your faith. Make it a God thing. Every trouble you're going through, you look to God. You've got purpose in this, God. There is reason. There's something in this that I need that's going to be good for me. And I turn to you, Lord, to bring the good out of the bad. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You're ready. You're ready. You're prepared. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, message version. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you whole and whole, holy and whole. Put you together. Put you together. Spirit, soul, and body. Put you together. And keep you fit for the coming of our master. There it is again. Jesus Christ. There it is. For... Learn the practice of loving everyone. James 2 8. You will do all right if you obey the most important law in the scriptures. It is the law that commands us to love others as much as we love ourselves. You got to get good at this. You cannot buy into the sectarianism of this world. You cannot, you cannot politicize every, every exchange in this globe and build up teams and that's where you, your love ends. You will have ideology differences with all kinds of people. You're going to have deep differences on round morals and what is right and what is wrong. You're going to be much the time, the tide of the waves of the world are going to be against you, but you must not use that as an excuse of a basis of being non-loving. You are called to love. Your response must always be love. That doesn't mean agreement. I disagree with you. I don't believe this is right, that you, what you're saying. I disagree with your choice on this. I value you, but in this case, we do not see this together. Love is always the right choice. Respect, not their choice, that they have the right to it, but respect them as a creation of God with a purpose in God, and God wants you to love them because he does, and because he loves you. And you and God just might have a few ideological differences, even moral differences. First Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. May the Lord make your love grow more and multiply for each other and for all people so that you will love others as we love you. 
It's a big statement by Paul to make himself an example. He's saying, as we have loved you, may your hearts be made strong so that you will be holy and without fault before our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ, here it is again. Here it is again. Our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Who's the holy ones? You. If you have received Christ and he has received your receiving, you are holy. Not your own. It is the righteousness of Christ which has clothed you. And that's why we are called to love. May your hearts be made strong so that you will be holy and without fault before our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Five, build your account in the bank of heaven. Let's write, write in a generous heart. See, heaven is the most generous place in any existence. You know why? Well, it gave up the greatest treasure. Do you know how generous God is to send his son? Do you know how generous it is for the father to extend his own son? You can't beat that generosity. First off, you have to take who God is. You have to take his position and his character and who he is. He has no need of us. He doesn't create you because he needs you. He creates you because he's a God who loves and he just lavishes you with love. And that love creates the most generous place. And so when our hearts in any way lack generosity of forgiveness, generosity of giving from our hearts to others, money, the number one competitor Christ identified, when our generousness is not there, you don't have that nature of heaven in you yet. And your account's not being built well. Because every time you truly are generous in whatever resource it is, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, every resource, you make deposits into a heavenly bank account. And that account only functions on the basis of your generosity, not on greed, not on, not on the idea of even practicality. It is just the opportunity for you to make deposits in the most generous place ever. First Timothy 6, 18, 19, Living Bible. Tell people to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they are storing up a real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Lastly, use God's investment in you. To invest in his purpose for you. This story. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? More or less, this is, why are you bringing good up? There's only one thing that's good and it's God and you know it. 
Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. That is the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't do this. Don't do this. You shall not commit adultery. That is the second commandment. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You shouldn't do this. You shall not steal. That is Again, the neighbor. That is human. That's you and your neighbor. Loving them as you love yourself. By the way, have you ever been stolen from? All the time, right? Lots. I remember the first time I had something stolen out of my car. Lynn and I were in Vancouver at the time. We were still in training. We lived in this apartment on Gillies Avenue. Parked underneath. I had a little red Mustang. That was so fun. In it I had, how many even know what this is? An eight track player. Okay, who knows what that is? Are you serious? Our church is aging way too much here. An eight track. Came down one morning. It's been busted into. Nothing else taken but my eight track. I haven't had an eight track since. It felt horrible. I'm glad I didn't catch anybody because this loving your neighbors yourself thing wouldn't have worked out that good. <laughs> what other commandments? You shall not give false testimony, lie about others. Gossip, lie. Again, neighbor to neighbor. Honor your father and mother, neighbor to neighbor. Your mom and dad are your neighbor too. And then love your neighbors yourself. So he lists only those commandments. And this guy responds and says, all these I have kept, the young man said. But he still knew he didn't have the complete package. He knew something was missing. That despite his practice, which he said he had never failed in these, we know that he had, he just had concentrated on the external representation and Jesus concentrated on the mind and said, if you have thought this in your heart, if you've had anger in your heart, you're a murderer. Jesus said this stuff. So he evaluates himself and he says, yeah, I, I've, I've kept that. What do I still lack? Come on, finish up this recipe for me. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, there we go, the key word. You want to hit the holy standard? You want to hit the heavenly standard? Go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Hook, line, and sinker. You know what Jesus did with that one? He went to the first commandment. He said, you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And here's the big indicator. You want, you want the key truth to your life right now? You want the core truth that's going to make your life what it could be, what it would be? Just imagine this opportunity he walks into. He gets an opportunity to follow Jesus. He didn't give everybody that little invitation. He gave this young rich guy this invitation. You go ahead and you sell it all, give it to the poor, then you come follow me. Going to the heart. Love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's what's in the way. Here's what's in the way. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Preparation for the last days. Be prepared by loving God with everything you are and work it and where you're not correct and you're not in line with what you need to be. Then a challenge that things and don't hide it and grow in your love daily. Grow in the way you love your God because that in the final analysis is what you are here for. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, I don't even worry about you loving your neighbor because by loving God with everything you are, automatically the second gets fulfilled because you are loving God and so if to love God with everything I got and who I am, my mind, my thoughts, will only love God. They're not going to love lust. I can go on with this, but I will not. Because the message is clear. Jesus has made this message clear. Paul has reiterated this message. Peter has brought this message clear. The Old and New Testament come together on this one message. Deuteronomy says the very same words about loving God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. It says the very same thing. This predates the law. It predates everything. Wait back to Adam and Eve who were subject to this very same command. Love the Lord your God. It's good to celebrate God's love for us. Please do it every day. Do it with great passion. And do it with great gratefulness. But understand your life becoming what it is to be and can be. And the purpose to be achieved will be found in your response to those questions. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He's got purpose for you. And the more you love God, the more that purpose can be realized. So do you love God? Don't answer. Evaluate. Think. Pray. Meditate. Lord, if you were to pull something out of my heart like you did that, run, that, that rich young guy, what would it be? What would it be that I've held here and kept from you? What have I kept from you? Let's stand together. Oh, when I got back in the pulpit, I wanted to give you a nice easy message. No, I just don't get to choose, folks. 
I just have to listen. And tell you what I hear. Let's bow our heads together. Father, as we stand in your presence, we are so grateful of your love for us. It's amazing that you love us when you stand in an absence of love from us. But Lord, that is not the condition. We must dig deep into our lives. We must, in fact, do the opposite and expose our lack of love and to say, God, I'm not loving you with all my mind here. All my, my mind has is, 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 is got other stuff that I love more. My, I'm not loving you with all my heart, my passion. My, it's not grabbing, Lord. I just walk away. I come to you and I warm up a bit, but I always pull back. And I'm not loving you, Lord, just with my intellect in the way that the things that I take in, the things I store. I, I, I'm not doing that, Lord. I, I'm not loving you with all my strength. In fact, I'm trying to find areas where I can just keep all my strength as much as I can for myself. And, and, and others, yes, if cornered, I'll do something. But I'm not out there seeking to feed your sheep. Father, we're not even willing to feed the sheep in our own households at times. Challenge us this morning, but only with this practice that, no, we are secure in your love. That won't change. Thanks to Jesus, I'm saved. And my practice on the first commandment tells me how much I need to be saved. But help me to do better in answering a question that you ask. Do you love me? And may our response be one of humility and humbleness that says, you know, Lord, I'm thinking I'm loving money more here, but I'm not walking away. I want, I want, I want to let go of that grip on my life. I think I'm loving, Lord, uh, just a little bit of the power here, Lord. I'm loving a little bit too much the fame. I'm loving a little bit too much, Lord, Help us to see how cheap those replacements are. And we make the hard decisions, Lord, that can cause us to love you more. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you heard it in the beautiful song that was sung, He loves you, He loves you, He loves you. And you want to learn how to start living a life that loves them back. Then I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ's love into your life right now. Receive Jesus into your life. You got to surrender your life. You got to give your life to Jesus. There's no life anywhere else. And he'll open up heaven to you. So if you've never received Christ, here's a little prayer. Just pray it in the quietness of your own heart. You say, Jesus... Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for my sin. I am not somebody who has loved well. I failed like every other human being. Forgive me for each one of those failures. But I want to learn how to love. I receive you as my Savior. 
so that, Lord, when you come again and there's going to be a judgment in this world, I can say with every confidence, he took my penalty. He paid my price. He saved my soul. So I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Now for us as believers, we never get out of the surrender business. The moment you do, you quit growing and loving God. He didn't quit loving you. That will never happen. But you've quit loving God. Time to change. You need to repent of that. You need to get right with God. You need to ask his forgiveness because he's not happy about that. And he wants you to return to him, to draw near to him. And then he's drawing near to you. You push him away, you can do that. Oh, I exhort you, please don't do that. Father, for every one of us, may there be something that's dropped in our spirit today from your spirit that just starts a purging in our life of the things that stand between you and us and the passion of a love for you that doesn't fade or go out but grows that we will be in the purpose of feeding your sheep in this world a part of taking the mission to our families places all around us in Christ's name I pray amen thanks for listening If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.